Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and this is the Bengals Booth Podcast, the Let the Healing Begin edition. As the injury-ravaged Bengals take the field for the final time in 2018, looking to end the season on a winning note and potentially knock the Pittsburgh Steelers out of the playoffs if the Baltimore Ravens don't do it first. Coming up, my broadcast partner Dave Lapham joins me to discuss several key topics ranging from the murky future of linebacker Vontez Perfect to whether this season qualifies as the most disappointing that Lapp has experienced in 43 years as a Bengals player and or broadcaster. There have been some bright spots, including 23-year-old Sam Hubbard. I'll talk to the Moeller High and Ohio State grad before the final game of his rookie season. And in this week's Know the Foe segment, we'll get the Steelers' scoop from the always entertaining Tim Benz, a longtime buddy of mine who is a columnist and radio host in Pittsburgh. All of that is straight ahead, but first, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean. It's the greatest invention since solar-powered Christmas lights. A great way to decorate the house. They work by gathering in sunlight during the day, then emitting light when it's not sunny, such as nighttime. They're affordable, eco-friendly, and safe, and you don't have to worry about where your power outlets are located outside the house. Now let's get to football. The first meeting between the Bengals and Steelers seems like it was two years ago rather than two and a half months ago. Heading into that game, the Bengals were 4-1 and one, and the Steelers were 2-2-1. Two, two and one. And with one minute and 18 seconds to go, it looked like Cincinnati was about to have a two-and-a-half game lead over Pittsburgh in mid-October. Second down and three at the Steelers' four. The Bengals down by six. Dalton hands it off to Mixon. Yeah. Charges into the end zone. Touchdown! Bengals! Cincinnati has tied the game with 118 left, and the Bengals can take the lead when Randy Bullock lines up for the extra point. Bullock made the kick, but as you know, the lead didn't last. Ben Roethlisberger calmly drove the Steelers down the field, thanks in part to a 3rd and 10 defensive holding penalty against Drake Kirkpatrick. With 15 seconds left, the Steelers were at the Bengals' 31, and the Bengals' defensive coordinator at the time, Terrell Austin, elected to gamble. The Bengals have nobody back deep. They are crowding the line of scrimmage. Roethlisberger catches the shotgun snap. Quick throw over the middle, caught by Antonio Brown. Sprinting down the middle of the field. He's into the end zone for a Steelers touchdown with 10 seconds left. Since that touchdown pass, the Bengals are 2-7, and seven, and the following players have gone on injured reserve. Andy Dalton, A.J. Green, Carl Lawson, Tyler Croft, Preston Brown, Josh Tupo, and Adolphus Washington. There are others, but you get the point. That win for the Steelers was the second of a six-game winning streak that put them at 7-2-1, with a two-and-a-half game lead over Baltimore in the AFC North. But it's been an epic fail in the Steel City since. The Steelers have dropped four out of their last five games, despite having second-half leads in all five. And in the Steelers' case, it is not injury-related. 
Pittsburgh is only missing one starter from opening day, right tackle Marcus Gilbert, who went on injured reserve in mid-December. Now time for this week's visit with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Lap between playing and broadcasting, you've been part of this franchise for 43 of its 51 years. Considering the 4-1 and start this year, that was almost 5-1 and before they got Roethlisberger'd, Nice. Does this go down as one of the most disappointing seasons ever? I think when you look at it in that regard, um, because there were such high hopes, I know when we talked a bunch of times watching them during training camp, we're like, man, this looks like it could be pretty good. I think people, you know, they didn't have them uh, under the radar. They had them off the radar. I mean, they were dismissed totally. People were saying four wins max. Um, and we thought differently when we saw how it was being put together. You have a chance to see it every day and how it's being assembled. And they get off to that great start. And offensively, there was something to watch. Um, and then the beginning of it was Tyler Eifert. When Tyler Eifert was lost for the season, that started the downslide. And the football gods said, not so fast, my friend. It's not going to be the kind of year you think. When Eifert was in there, when you have a tight end, A.J. Green, you can double team, but then Eifert's going to eat. If you double Eifert, you can't double AJ's easily because there's a run threat, too, with Tyler Eifert in the game. We've talked about it many times. Every snap he played, they went nickel because they couldn't match up with him in the passing game. They didn't want a linebacker on him, so they'd bring in a a smaller body to be able to run with him uh, with his excellence in route running, and then they could bunch it up and run in those smaller people. And and The first two games of the season, they scored 34 points in each game, and they looked dynamic offensively. Tyler Boyd, you know, was was showing some things as a, as a third officer. You have Eifert, you have AJ Green, you have Tyler Eifert, and Andy Andy Dalton is just, you know, making Pittsburgh get out of their blitz. I mean, uh, Baltimore Ravens get out of their blitz pattern. You know, it's like Wink Martindale wanted a blitz every single snap, and he said no mas. I mean, he went like a quarter and a half without blitzing at all. So it's like, wow, these guys are looking pretty good. And then the injury started, and. Um, they never did recover. And, you know, it's like I'm telling people, uh, you know, over the weekend here, going into the Pits- this Pittsburgh game, how would the Pittsburgh Steelers look without Ben Roethlisberger, Antonio Brown, and Juju Smith-Schuster? I don't know, but I'd like to see it. I know. That'd be, that'd be a lot easier for Marvin Lewis to defend. I mean, this, foot, this Bengals football team isn't is nowhere near the team that started out the season. Not even close. Not even close. And th- – you know, 15 guys on injury reserve, that's not to count guys that missed two or more games. I think it would be easier to say the number of guys on the roster that played 16 games. There are not many of them. I mean, they might go on one hand. They've missed guys for two or more games a bunch, and some for half a dozen games or more. And, you know, you're not going to have uh, Vontez Perfect playing this game against Pittsburgh. You're not going to have Drake or Patrick play against this, in this game against Pittsburgh. You're going to be depleted offensively, defensively. It's a, it's a shame. When you look at the way the season started and what could have been and the way it ended up, man, the football gods owe you one for big time. Vontez Perfect began the year on suspension. He never played that well once he was active. And last week in Cleveland, he suffered his seventh known concussion in seven NFL seasons. He's 28. He's got two years left on his contract. What does Vontez Perfect's NFL future hold? Well, that's a that's a great question. Um, it, it doesn't look promising for him, honestly. Uh, that many concussions in that short a time frame is a concern. You know, if you're Vontez Perfect, you're probably thinking about getting hurt. 
and you're thinking you're going to get fined every time you play. You think you're a marked man, and your style of play is conducive to the concussions that he's had. So, it to me, it doesn't look promising. Um, he didn't play as well as he's played in in, in years past. There was a injury. Uh, he's had in, a history of injury and suspension. The amount of money he's given back the league could uh, could support small communities in the country. It's amazing. <laughs> so, you know, you just don't. No matter how much money you make, you don't want to give a big chunk of it back. That's for darn sure. So, uh, it, it's interesting. The Bengals have a big decision to make there. That's one of their bigger decisions, I think, in the off season. If the Bengals allow. 22 or more points this week. They will break the franchise record for most points allowed in a season. Let's take a look at each level of the defense. Defensive line, linebackers, and secondary. Where must they improve in each of those areas? Well, I think uh, in the defensive line, I'd maybe try to get another big interior guy. You know, Glasgow and Tupau, I mean, they're on on injury reserve. Glasgow is playing very well. I, do, I think I'd try to get another one, though. N- not real high in the draft. It might be my uh, you know, third priority uh, in the draft. My first priority is offensive line, tackle, with what's happened. I mean, Sergio Boy, he's cashing his chips. Fisher, you don't know if he can play because of the physical aspect of it. So they've they got to find a tackle. It's a good one down in Ole Miss. Wouldn't mind to see him up there in the first round. But And then second round, I'd probably go linebacker because we've seen how they've been attacked. They've been put in space. The only linebacker, when healthy, that uh, you know shows that he can do what needs to be done um, is Nick Vigil. You know they need to they need to get a little bit better in that area. Uh, so I, I, I draft I draft a linebacker that is a linebacker that fits today's NFL, almost like a hybrid safety linebacker type guy, guy that can stay on the field and defend the run. But if you put him in space, it's not an embarrassment because We've seen how teams have attacked the Bengals linebacker level with tight ends, uh, with running backs, with shallow crosses from every position group, receiver, tight end, or running back. Those crossers, I mean, uh, I think every Bengal fan, when they close their eyes in the offseason, going to see crossing routes up on the ceiling and instead of uh, with the, the back of their eyelids. But So I, that's, that's where I'd really uh, make a move is at the linebacker position. Um, but I, I would like to see them, if, if there's a – a good interior defensive lineman in that in that third round kind of area, you know, go go that route as well. Secondary. Yeah, I mean, you can never have enough, you know, corners. Obviously, and they've had a history of drafting corners in the first round. I don't think they go that route, you know, this year. Um, I do think they've got a, a budding star in Jesse Bates at the safety position. I think he's he's going to be here for a long time barring injury, knock on wood for everybody in that regard. Um, but, you know, you can always – there's no harm in bringing bodies in to compete at the safety or cornerback position for sure. The Bengals wrap up the season at Pittsburgh. The Steelers are 7-2-1 and after 10 games. But after losing four out of their last five, they are currently out of the playoffs unless they beat the Bengals on Sunday and – it's a big and – Cleveland Browns go to Baltimore and beat the Ravens, who are red hot. Are you surprised the Steelers are where they are? Some, but not totally. I maintain that when Bell decided he was done with Pittsburgh, that's when it started. They thought 7-2-1, and one, Bell still could return for the final six games of the season. Man, we get a boost. Man, like, like Bell comes back, are you kidding me? 
we're golden now. We're a Super Bowl favorite. Nope. Not coming back. The offensive lineman kept saying, oh, yeah, he keeps communicating with us. He's coming back. Come, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're all mad because he's not doing what he says he's going to do. So not only is he causing a wedge, you know, in that communication aspect of it, then when he doesn't return at all, I really think that was the, the straw that, that loaded up the camel's back. I really do. Because the guy is so dynamic in the running game and the pass game. I mean, he, he's as big a weapon for Ben as he is, uh, you know, on the ground. And Connor, you know, made the Pro Bowl. I mean, he had a good year, but he's, Bell is a different breed of cat. And then Connor has gotten nicked up. So, um, and then you look at their turnover ratio. What what team has made the playoffs going minus ten? That's that's very very difficult. They're they're a good football team. Many of the games that they've lost in this little stretch, you think, man, they they're a better team. They they played better. How'd they lose that game? How did that happen? I think part of it is, you know. Le'Veon Bell helps you close games. Not having him is a, is a big, big deal. There's, there's no doubt about it. I mean, that would be like having, you know, the best back in Bengals franchise history uh, decide 10 games of the season, eh, I'm going somewhere else. I mean, that, that, that would be crippling mentally to a football team, and I think that's where it started. Thanks, Lap. The Steelers have won the last seven meetings between the two rivals, including the infamous meltdown at Paul Brown in the 2015 wildcard game. Pittsburgh's longest ever winning streak against Cincinnati was eight straight from 1991 to 94. The Bengals' longest winning streak against the Steelers was six straight from 88 to 90 when Ben Roethlisberger was in elementary school. Ben is 36 now, meaning that when he started his NFL career, Sam Hubbard was in elementary school. I spoke to Sam this week. We are in the locker room with rookie Sam Hubbard, one of the bright spots this season, I would say. Evaluate what you've done well your rookie year and, and where you still need think you need to get better. I think I did a good job coming in. You know, you got a, a lot of coaches' trust and teammates' trust to earn. I think I came in, worked hard, and... Uh, did what I was asked to do and uh, you know earned the coaches trust in my trust my teammates to get on the field more and throughout the year played more and more had a bigger role and uh, you know got really comfortable as the season went on I think just everything comes down to enhancing what I've done this year for next year because I'll have a leg up a big role and a varied role 470 snaps on defense 218 on special teams 12 on offense has that all been a bit of a surprise um, I mean, that's what I set out to do. You know, I'm not as uh, surprised. You know, I accomplished a goal that I of playing a lot and having a big role on this team this year. But um, you know, it's it's a blessing to have been on the field that much and contributed that much. One of the highlights last week was Clayton Fedulum's block punt in Cleveland, and he gave you all the credit after the game. Can you describe what you did on that play? Yeah, it's just a two man uh, two man game. I don't want to talk too much scheme. Uh, between me and Clayton and the PP and the snapper of the punt team. And uh, my job was to beat the snapper across the face. I did that, and uh, PP had no choice to pick, pick me up and double-team me, and that let Clayton go free. And, uh, you know, that's just what teammates do, and I'm happy to do it. PP being personal protector. Yeah. After the game, Joe Mixon said, I've never been part of a losing program, and I can promise you it's not going to be that way for long in Cincinnati. You saw that and tweeted, you couldn't have said it better yourself. What gives you that confidence? I just think we got, uh, you know, guys in here that want to win, you know, they're they're frustrated. You know, we got uh, 
people out of practice that are putting in the work. And uh, we really just want to change the culture to a winning attitude around here. And uh, that's that's easier said to do than to do. But um, it all just comes down to putting in the work and backing up what we're saying uh, with our actions. And uh, that's personally what I'm going to do. We're visiting with Sam Hubbard. In your college football career, you don't get summers off. After your final college season, you're preparing for the draft. That's a full-time job. When you complete your rookie year, you finally get the opportunity, if you choose to, to take a little time off. Have you given that any thought? Oh, yeah. You know, I haven't had more than a week off or a week and a half, two weeks off in about five or six years. Um, but, you know, it's going to be nice to get a few weeks off and just, you know, let my body rest and recover, my mind recover. And, you know, then I'm excited to get back in the weight room and getting ready for next year. A couple more questions for Sam Hubbard. You finished the season against the Steelers. On October 14th, was it strange to look across the line of scrimmage and see and hear Ben Roethlisberger? Yeah, it was crazy. Uh, I think you you know you watch watch those games for years growing up, and you got you got Big Ben across from you and uh, Steelers offensive line trying to protect him. And you know I was still <laughs> still young, uh, early in the season, trying to survive. I feel like I'm uh, a lot more comfortable this this uh, time around, and hopefully get uh, some pressure on the quarterback. That O-line is widely regarded as one of the best in the NFL. Did you feel that way facing them the first time? Yeah, you know, they, they get a lot of credit for a reason. Um, they work very well with the quarterback and, you know, extending plays and keeping guys away from Big Ben so he can sling it. But, um, yeah, I mean, across the board, I think, what, they got three all-pro all guys. Mm -hmm. And uh, we got a big challenge, but I think we got enough on our side to, to have a big impact on the game. Last thing for Sam Hubbard, you potentially – could knock the Steelers out of the playoffs on Sunday. As a Cincinnati area kid, does that add anything to this final game? Oh, of course. You know, you want to you want to <laughs> you want to win this game. We've lost quite a few in a row and uh, you know, we're like I said earlier, we're focusing on ourselves and um, seeing what we can do to be better as a team and uh, an organization, but obviously we got a little something something extra this week to play for. Congrats on a great rookie year. Thank you. Sam Hubbard has six sacks this season to rank third on the team behind Geno Atkins, who has 10, and Carlos Dunlap, who has eight. Now time for this week's Know the Foe segment as we take a closer look at the upcoming opponent. And this week, our expert is Tim Benz, a columnist and radio host in Pittsburgh. He joined Dave Lapham and me on the Bengals Game Plan Show this week, and I started our conversation by asking Tim about a column he wrote after Pittsburgh's heartbreaking loss to the Saints last Sunday. The headline of the column read, Steelers deserve the coal they got in their stockings. Well, you know, that loss against New Orleans was a tough break. They had some bad calls against them. They had some misfortune. Tomlin rolled the dice and went for a fake punt when I don't think he should have, but, you know, all in the name of being aggressive and so forth. I think I walked away from that Saints game saying, if you go on the road and you have a lead in the fourth quarter against New Orleans, the team that's lost only twice all year, if you play that game in week nine, you could walk away saying, hey, we gave it a great effort, we kind of got screwed over by some calls, uh, live the fight another day, and, and let's go forward the rest of the season, and maybe we can pull some positives off of this. Um, but you can't do that when you put yourself in the position that they did by losing to Oakland, by blowing a lead against the L.A. Chargers, by losing at the Denver Broncos, by tying the Browns before Baker Mayfield was the quarterback back in week one when they had multiple opportunities to win that game. 
Um, you know, they're not going to miss the playoffs because they lost the game in New Orleans. They deserve a better fate. That team that played against New Orleans deserved a better fate. The overall team of 2018 does not because of those performances, and it's something we have seen on numerous occasions under Mike Tomlin. Good Steeler teams left out of the playoffs. 500 and above Steeler teams left out of the playoffs because they lose to lesser competition. And, Tim, it seems like, you know, the thing that the, the barometer that is holds true, it's a football axiom, turnovers. You know, you're minus 10. You don't have many playoff teams that are minus 10, you know, after 15 football games. Only 15 takeaways. I mean, they're not doing either well. They're only take, the Bengals have more takeaways than the Pittsburgh Steelers. They have two more takeaways. And uh, they have eight fewer giveaways. I mean, Pittsburgh's given it away 25 times. The Bengals are even. Uh, 17 uh, takeaways, 17 gives. If the Steelers were even instead of minus 10, shoot, they'd, they'd maybe be like, you know, 11-3-1. and one. Yeah, if the Steelers are even versus minus 10, and that probably means that they haven't turned it over, what was it, three times in Denver and win that game. And yep. maybe it's because of the fumbles against New Orleans, they win that one. At least they're keeping pace. And we're a game ahead of Baltimore, where Baltimore would then need help to get in as a wild card. Uh, you're right about that. I think if you continue to look at those notes you got in the turnover column, I'm pretty sure when you look at differential, am I wrong in that? The only four teams that are worse than them in differential are non-playoff teams that have been eliminated already. Uh, yeah, I think that's the case. You're right. They're 28th in the NFL, and the only four are are, are, are not playoff contention. Exactly right. You know the, yeah, the killer. In fact, Dave. In fact, I think even when they were in good playoff position, like seven, three, and one, something like that, they were still in the bottom five in differential. They managed to mask the turnover problem. Uh, with other victories against teams that sort of fell off, like you know Carolina and Atlanta, those kinds of clubs. Um, they've managed to mask that for a while. It's been a problem all year. It's really manifested in losses, though, in recent weeks. Tim, the other thing that's mind-boggling to me, I, I look at these ratios, and I, in, the sack ratio, they're plus 25. They've accumulated 48, you know, tied for the um, amongst the top in the NFL. They've only allowed 23. Fourth fewest, so they're plus 25, second best in the league. Interception ratio, they're minus 8, 29th in the mm-hmm. league. They've thrown 16, only gotten 8. Usually, If you're putting that much pressure on, usually you have more interceptions, and if you're protecting your quarterback, usually you have fewer interceptions thrown. It's just the reverse in both of their scenarios. It's kind of odd, really. It is. Uh, I would say that the defensive part of that equation is harder to explain because the Roethlisberger interceptions, as you guys well know, so often are born from him keeping plays alive yep, and yep. refusing to take an open check down and trying to go something deeper down the field. Um, and trying. So he might have protection, look away from a guy who's open for five yards and try to get 12, and, and that's where some of those interceptions are born from. So you can kind of explain the pressure versus interception disparity on offense easier than you can on defense. I, well, that's been a, a major through line for all this turnover talk in Pittsburgh. You're right about that, Dave, is that uh, there's a lack, there's a gap there as to why the pressure isn't resulting in at least more bad throws, hurried throws, tipped passes, uh, things of that nature. But then the flip side of it is, of his 33 touchdown passes, maybe 10 or come from extending it like you're talking about so you have to take the bad with the good with the guy right i mean he he, he'll he'll uh he'll make a play and you know by you know shucking people off of him and extending it and all that and then he'll like you said he'll turn it over i mean that's just big ben that's him 
Yeah, you know, and there was, like, that Denver game kind of drove me crazy in that regard where, you know, he makes some great throws and then he just decides he's going to make the throw come hell or high water in situations where he shouldn't. I don't think he's lost anything in his game. Um, it's, I was writing notes during the Saints game. I can't tell you how many times I put a star next to 7-84, 7-19. I mean, he made so many great throws to those guys. Right. Uh, they, but Juju fumbled at the end, and you know Ridley fumbled earlier in the game. Um, I think uh, his worst season when it came to interceptions was 2006 after they won the Super Bowl. And a lot of that had to do with the concussion that he got during the season and the motorcycle accident in the off season. Right. Um, you know that that was kind of easy to explain away. But I guess my point is, it's not like he's lost his fastball, and that's why the interceptions are high. I think it's more than anything else with Ben. It's, it's decision making. Pittsburgh radio host and columnist Tim Benz is our guest. The Steelers were seven two and one with a two and a half game lead in the division. Now they are eight six and one, and at least at the moment on the outside looking in when it comes to the playoffs. Pittsburgh's had three head coaches since 1969, so they are not going to just fire Mike Tomlin on a whim. But is somebody feeling the heat, an assistant coach, a player in particular? Is is anybody kind of become the focus of the this guy's got to go crowd? Danny Smith and Keith Butler, there have been so many penalties on special teams that have cost them and errors on special teams that have cost them. Now, the counter to that is, boy, they've been really good blocking kicks this year. Uh, their kick block schemes have been fantastic. So I don't know if they're going to swing the hatchet on Danny Smith. Keith Butler, I think people view him as just an extension of what was the Dick LeBeau defense, and Mike Tomlin has kind of put his – thumbprints on the defense as well here and maybe minimize or marginalize what Butler is doing and I think some folks are saying we'll put a new true defensive coordinator in there to install his own stuff and get away from what the Steelers are doing right now but it's not the old LeBeau 3-4 it's definitely changed in a lot of ways particularly relying on pressure from Hayward and two as opposed to what the old 3-4 defensive ends used to do and uh, they do drop the outside linebackers quite a bit now uh, I think those two are getting it, but honestly, your question, Dan, it's it's far more just fans angry at Tomlin. Like he's probably not feeling any heat in the building, but uh, this is the loudest I've ever heard the fire Tomlin crowd, and it's been loud in the past at times, especially during that stretch of seasons where they didn't have a playoff win prior to the uh, you know Vontez Perfect game in, in Cincinnati. Uh, that you know they had gone four straight years without a playoff victory prior to that, and it looked like it was going to be five up until the last minute of that game. So I've heard it loud. This is as dense as it's been, and you, know, you made the, the point since 1969, three coaches, right? There have been fewer popes than there have been Steeler coaches at that <laughs> yeah. time, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So at least, at least a tie. <laughs> Crazy. So with, that being, with that being said, I, I think that, you know, like, Bill Cowher would still be the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers today if he hadn't wanted to retire. I think we all know that. Bill Cowher would still be coaching. So it's not like, and, and then they never would have hired Tomlin. So my point is, just because it, you don't have to hold on to the coach just because you feel obligated. Like, I'm sure there's another, there's a Sean McVay out there. There's a Frank Gregg waiting to be promoted. So, you know, if the Steelers do feel the urge, and I don't think that they do, uh, to fire the coach, uh, I don't think it would be as galling as maybe they feel in their gut because in, in Pittsburgh you just, quote-unquote, don't do that. But, you know, what if you get a better one? My question, Tim, is does Boswell have pictures that are, are compromising to somebody? How, how does, with, with 12 misses, you know, missing five extra points and seven field goals that 
you know, uh, they've been costly uh, in, in, in some of these tight losses. I mean, uh, what, what's the deal? How much heat is he feeling? Yeah, a lot. A lot as well. Many people, myself included, thought they should have made a move there. Um, if it's the Pirates, then you're just saying, well, they're trying to honor a contract and they're trying to you know, not eat the rest of the money. Um, you know, that would be the narrative around here if it was a baseball situation. Uh, I, I don't think they want to be stuck with that cap hit. I think they think he's good and he's in a slump. But, boy, has this been a long slump and it's the yeah. constant same thing over and over. Every kick is missed the same way. Everything is being pushed right. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, kind of like the turnover thing earlier, they danced through the raindrops there where a lot of his misses weren't affecting the outcomes of games. They either came back and overcame them or there were losses that were going to be losses anyway. So that he didn't materially affect a lot of games until the Charger game where that kind of swung how the Chargers approached their offense. And then, of course, the, the Raider game when he slipped, and that was his second missed kick of the afternoon. That one was definitely directly on him. Um, that was why I was so confused about the fake punt against uh, the Saints. You know, part of Tomlin's rationale was, well, if they come down and score, we at least have time to come back and score to tie it. What, with him? With Boswell? Yeah. I mean, yeah. were you kidding me? You know, just, <laughs> just to maybe get a field goal off to tie it, so then you kick it off to Drew Brees again in overtime, perhaps? Like, you know, I, I thought that was – it was to me that was aggressiveness masking – cowardice or aggressiveness <laughs> masking and lack of faith in your own defense because right. um, you know, it, just, it felt to me like a self-defeating uh, truism that at some point Drew was going to beat us anyway and let's rely on Boz to maybe extend the game which you know, turns my <laughs> stomach to think about. But wait a second, Tim. That fake punt worked. I saw Roosevelt Nick celebrate. He got the first down. <laughs> How about that? How did that play in Pittsburgh? <laughs> there was a meme going around in Pittsburgh, you could probably still find it on Twitter somewhere, where it was, like some guy said, this is my Tomlin-era Da Vinci. And it's, you know, <laughs> Roosevelt Nick signaling first down, and all the Saints signaling the first down the other way. It was the key to that Green Bay-Seattle game. Remember the Fail Mary game where the one ref is putting his hands up, touching yes. down, the other ref is signaling incomplete. <laughs> yes. You know, you've got this duality on the photo, and it's just called the Tomlin years. <laughs> I, thought, I, I thought that summed it up pretty well. Final question, and thanks so much for your time, Tim. What are the Pittsburgh Steelers, or what's the locker room, the feeling about the Bengals? The Bengals obviously struggling. Uh, they probably don't recognize the offense, the guys that are playing uh, in the skill positions. I mean, the, the four most important players offensively, they couldn't afford to lose. They've lost all of them. Is Pittsburgh just thinking they got to roll their helmets out there and uh, it'll take care of itself? Well, today is the first day that the guys talk, um, you know, as, as far as, the interaction with them has been minimal from a media point of view, so I haven't been able to glean what they're thinking. The concerning thing is for any game where the Steelers are heavy favorites, it's not what they say, it's what they think. Uh, they were really good telling us that this was going to be different against the Raiders. You know, they, they were really good telling us how ready they were for the Browns. They knew it was a new era for the Browns, and then they tied. Uh, they were really good telling us, hey, there are some good things about this Denver team. Don't just look at their record. And then they went out there and got beaten by them. So, I don't put a lot of stock in what they say about an opponent coming up. I bet you to say all the right things all week long against the Bengals. And then I think they look in their hearts and they look at that line and say, 17-point favorites, oh, that's about right. We should do that to these guys. And uh, I'm, I'm certain this is going to be a game in the fourth quarter. Uh, I'm not certain that Baker is going to keep the Browns in it that long. And Honestly, that's every bit as much important, if not more important, for the Steelers right now uh, than anything else of what happens in Baltimore. We should explain that there is a way for the Steelers to make the playoffs, even if Baltimore wins the AFC North 
by beating Cleveland on Sunday. If Pittsburgh beats Cincinnati, the Steelers could grab the AFC's final wildcard spot if the Sunday night game between the Colts and Titans ends in a tie. Keep in mind that the NFL did shorten the regular season overtime period from 15 minutes to 10 minutes last year in the interest of player safety. But that hasn't led to a slew of ties. There have been two in 486 games since that rule change. Our thanks to Tim Benz, and that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. If you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or leave a comment. Your feedback is very much appreciated, and five-star ratings help more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde. Happy New Year, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.